welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I'm your host. And once again, I'm joined by uh, Elite Consulting Partners Director of RA Services, Vince Leto. Vince, what's cooking? Oh, you know, just uh, another wonderful morning here in Jersey. It's all good. Awesome. It's nice. and uh, It's freezing outside. A little snow and ice, but no biggie. Never hurt anybody, right? Um, But uh, anyway, so welcome back to the show. Um, If you listened to our previous episode, uh, we were talking about the RA basics um, and the sort of the what does an RIA mean and what is an IAR and all that? What is a hybrid? All of those things. So uh, welcome back to the show. Um, if you missed that show, you want to go back to that show and check it out. Um, so today we're really going to talk specifically about is is an RIA structure the right structure for you um, in setting up the next sort of phase of your career, right? If you're at a wirehouse firm and you're looking to get away from the wirehouse for whatever reason, um, we're not going to pick on wirehouses today. Um, well, maybe a little bit, but you know, we have a we have clients tell us, "Oh, I think I'm thinking about going RIA," and then we get into this conversation about, "Well, what do you know about it? You know, why?" Um, they don't necessarily know the answers to those questions, or, "Well, I have, I have, uh, I'm at 60 million and I want to go RIA, or I'm at 100 million or 90 million and I want to go RIA because I hear that's where I get the I make the most money, right? All these things." are sort of are are correct and not correct so vince so you know in your experience you've been doing this a long time right just why does someone generally speaking want to go ria right yeah and why shouldn't and then what are the in, in your mind the parameters of what makes sense and what doesn't make sense well I, I think too and like you're kind of talking about wirehouses right or ibds i think they're crucial to the industry right there there were advisors uh, typically start. That's where I started my career in the financial world, right? So uh, working as a retail rep at Morgan Stanley and trying to build a book and selling preferreds and IPOs that they had available. So it was it was great. It was a great training world to learn about the business, um, learn about finance and cold calling, right? How to, how to build a book, right? But there becomes a point where you become more and more successful and I used to explain it to advisors that you're you're at the point where the firm needs you more than you need them, right? In the beginning of your career, you need a, a big firm to establish your book, and right? Systems, it and, helps, yeah, right. right? But you're at a revenue point, or you're, you've built a book to a hundred, two hundred, three, whatever the number is, right? Um, you know, and and you get to the point where they need you more than you need them. And quite frankly, now it's not 40, 50 years ago. There's a lot of options that are available to you, right? So, uh, you know, creating an RA is one option. Tucking in as an IAR is another option and uh, might be a, a better option for more advisors, right? I think I think um, creating an RA for the past 20 years has been a popular route. You know, it's where the puck has been going. I think some of the changes in the industry with TD being out of the business, um, there might be less custodians willing to work with smaller um, 
state registered firms. And uh, that might sound a little, uh, I don't know how I would put it, but it doesn't sound great, right? It sounds sounds like we're being uh, a little- Well, some of the experience that we're seeing, candidly, with those smaller RIAs, yeah. now that they're all at Schwab, basically, right? Yeah. Is is their service has gone down exponentially? Yeah, that that's part of it, and I think it's 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 business, right? And I think um, you know where where there's no more ticket charges, and and the business has changed. The profitability to these custodians has changed as well, right? And that's something that as an advisor considering, do I set up? Do I join? That's something that you need to be aware of. And if a business isn't profitable from your business, they can't afford to provide you good service. It's pretty simple, right? That's that's more or less where what it comes down to. So it may, all things being equal, it makes a hundred percent more sense to create your own RIA, have your own entity, right? But in today's world, that may not be the best option, right? There, you may not have a custodian that's really willing to work with you, really willing to service you, and quite frankly you may not ever get to the point of resources that some of these larger firms are able to provide. So are you saying that, so if I'm an advisor and I have 80, 80 million, 50 million, um, you know, what's your, what's, what's your advice to that, to that advisor, right? If I'm an advisor or a team that has 300 million, Mm -hmm. right? Not quite a billion, right? Not, I mean, that 300 million, that's not close to a billion. Um, At what point do you feel like, yeah, you you have the economics and you have the scale to really make opening and starting your own RIA really worth it versus the conversation about, you know what, maybe tucking into a larger enterprise yeah. is the right way to go. What are the in your mind, what are those so, numbers? You know, I think there's different strokes for different folks, right? You know, advisors that want to be left alone regardless of how much they manage should probably set up their own RIA and and do it their their own. If they don't get along with others, et cetera, uh, that could be a problem, right? But there's firms that are, there's guys that manage 80 million and 700 million that decide to tuck in, right? And there's good reasons for both to do so. Like I, what? I think like, um, so hypothetically, let's say you're, you're an RIA today, you have 80 million bucks and you custody with whoever you custody with. Uh, You may have a junior partner and you think that junior partner is your succession plan. A lot of advisors do. Some don't even have a junior partner to be their succession plan, right? And uh, most other advisors don't even have a buy-sell agreement with anybody else as a as a fail safe in case something happens to them and they need to exit the business, right? And uh, it's kind of odd in a business where you're planning your client's wealth and their their well-being that this business that you built is worth something and you don't have an insurance policy on this business. That is the oddest thing in the financial world that is all too common, right? So I think for the advisor that's got 80 million, has a junior advisor, maybe they're 35 years old or 40 years old, whatever it may be, that $80 million book might be worth uh, $3, 4000000 dollars, right? So if you need to sell that practice, how is that advisor who's 40 years old going to be able to afford to cut you a check for that amount, right? Is that going to be the best experience for the clients that, you know, for this book of business that you've built for the past 30, 40 years, um, you know, is that really the best experience for you? And uh, again, there's options available to you, right? Um, 
you could that $80 million advisor that has their own RIA is now considering more and more, do I tuck into a larger firm that gets me more resources, maybe takes some labor or work off of my plate? Um, you know, and uh, now I'm affiliated. I absolutely have a contingency plan. They have money to cut me a check any day I want to, you know, exit this business or cut me a partial check. I might sell 40% of my revenue stream and continue to work for the next 10 years, right? But taking workload off their plate so they can go out and just focus on growing their business. Because I think one of the surprises that uh, I've seen a lot of advisors make or they they don't make they don't make it, <clears throat> but they look back after a, a couple of years and realize it was made for them, yeah. and they went from being a financial advisor working with their clients to being a compliance officer, right? Where a large part of their day is spent on operations and compliance, and they're wondering why they're not growing their business as fast as they used to. Yeah. So you know that's when we talk about tuckins. That's one of the ancillary benefits, or one of the I mean, ancillary one of the main benefits is that you have the ability to now grow your business faster because now you get to spend time with what made you successful in the first place. Yeah, I, I think, you know, so the existing RIA that uh, doesn't really have a, a backup plan, et cetera, or not a solid backup plan should is looking towards the tuck-in solution. You know, do I tuck in, take some stuff off my plate, have that backup plan immediately in place um, and provide more resources how do you grow your business in, in that type of structure? Well, I mean, those firms that are multi-billion dollars are looking to go from $2 billion to $10 billion, right? And typically, they'll have an agreement with us, right? Some of them have an agreement with us where we're referring uh, advisors to them. And if that advisor is in your backyard, that big tuck-in firm might be looking at you as a resource to help that advisor move to their entity, right? So there's that's a little bit of a side business that could that could happen there, right? So uh, that could be appealing there. The advisor teams that are leaving, you know, your Merrill Lynch's or your wirehouses, et cetera, they might be seven, eight hundred million dollars and decide, you know what, maybe creating an RA is not right for me. Um, you know, and I always use the analogy, I could go out and buy a piece of property, you know, and I could build a house myself. And I'm going to save a lot of money if I hire the, the mason, the, the framer, the plumber, the electrician, right? But I'm probably going to build a house out in the middle of the woods, right? It may be a little bit crooked. The windows might be, uh, you know, all jacked up. And, um, you know, but I saved, I don't know, 10, 15%. And that's kind of the difference where I could go out and buy a house in a community that's built. It's got a community center, everything along those lines, but I'm paying for that. Right. And or the same analogy, you're, you're as the, you're becoming, you're the general contractor. So you're, you're dealing with the carpenters, the plumbers scheduling. They're not showing up. They, they go to a different job. So you got to get somebody else or they didn't do the job the right. You got to bring somebody else in. You're dealing with all that stuff versus hiring a general contractor who who has their guys. Yeah, and that's the, so I I focus more on the money aspect of it, right? So cuz advisors uh typically they're going to look at, well, what's this going to cost me, right? That's that's kind of like a, a driving force in their thought process. What's it going to cost, right? And I think they sometimes are uh not misguided, but uh misunderstood that there's a value in affiliating, right, versus doing it on your own, right? Well, what's your time worth? 
what's your time worth? And yeah, you know, you're you're going to be dealing with that independent contractor. And in this world, it's not a plumber. It's your billing and reporting system, which CRM system I want to buy. Am I going to sign a five-year lease or a 10-year lease, right? Like, what am I going to pay per square foot? I don't know if I'm getting a good deal. I have no no idea, right? So a lot of these things kind of uh, come into your business decision-making process, which eats up your time, which eats up your productivity, right? And at the end of the day, you may say like, yeah, I got 100% payout and uh, I kept more money in my pocket, right? Reality is that, you know, if you take a firm that you could affiliate with and gives you uh, hypothetically an 85% net net payout on your business, right? They're not making 15 points off of your revenue, right? right? There's, there's, you know, for look at it this way. If someone's give saying your payout's 85% and these are real world numbers, we get into details, right? But if they're giving you 85%, they're giving you that billing and reporting, the CRM system, you know, they've got- And the support to run those things. The other thing too is that is is kind of like missed. Typically these tuck-in solutions are gonna have more than one custodian, right? That's a huge, huge factor, right? And when their service team calls XYZ custodian versus you at $100 million calling XYZ custodian, it is a world of difference in the turnaround time to get things done. That could be a check request for your client. Your client could call you and say, hey man, I know we talked about buying, I was gonna buy a house, I was gonna buy a house, I need the money today, right? And sometimes service teams react faster to a $3 billion RIA firm, Versus a hundred million dollar RA firm. I mean, you may find that odd, right? There's different service teams within the within those custodians. I joke, right? It's not odd, right? You're not going to react to a, a ten million dollar client the same way you're going to react to a hundred million, a hundred thousand dollar client, right? right? It's just you segment your book, and every business is going to segment their book as well. And some of these custodians are ten, twenty billion dollars, you know, and they if they have ten billion dollars with Schwab. Um, and and you're you're underneath them. Well, other thing is, you you know, usually those RIAs have their own internal service team that you're going to be working with. Yeah. So it's sort of like, hey, let us handle, let us call the custodian and fight the fight. You know, you go back to servicing your client. All of those things are really important uh, to save brain power. That is just a reality, right? Yeah. We, look, advisors think. I think there's a a different perspective, especially, in, and I'm really gonna. This is really to wirehouse guys. Cause I think that if you're a million dollar or a $2 million producer and you have $300 million at, uh, at, at Morgan or Merrill Lynch, like congratulations, like you're, you're a big deal there in the RIA world. You're not like in the RIA world. You're just not You're I would say average, maybe even below average. Um, so you might think that you're going to get, that's just a hard truth, right? You might think that you're, oh, I'm $300 million. They should roll over for me. They're not going to, right? They're just, because they're going to take a phone call from a $10 billion RIA before you, right? And so I think that the economic component of it is, and we'll, and we'll do that also at another, on another call, um, you know, a hundred percent isn't a hundred percent. If you're running your own practice, you know, that hundred percent may end up going down to 70 or 65 or 70, whatever the number is, right? Versus an RIA that says, tuck into us. Yep. Yeah, I'm, I'm giving you 85, but you end up making more money. We we 
we go through this exercise all the time with with clients where and this is not just the RA world this is just also in the independent broker dealer space sure where you look at two different firms and one firm is saying well I'm going to give you a 95% payout and then we have all these other charges underneath here yeah. you know that we're going to charge you and somehow you get down to you know 70% let's just say right or 80% before before your local expenses right so let's just say it's 80% um, and then another firm says, well, we're going to give you 80% all in, yeah. right? And advisors, for whatever reason, have a hard time psychologically understanding the difference, right? Um, if it's 80, it's 80. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter how you get there. As a matter of fact, the, the 80 all in, sometimes it's easier to deal with. It's all in the details, right? You might get a 95% payout. Oh, but wait, your million dollar account has a 10 bit platform fee. Before that revenue goes to your 95%. Before the 90%. You know, so you, again, your business is not to know all the options that are out there. Your business is to manage your client's expectations. Our business is to tell you what those options are and not to waste your time on what we think are the best options for you. So that's, that's uh, again, don't build your own house. Come to us, right? We're that general contractor, right? Uh, we're helping you. We're saving you time, and and we're we're gonna we're gonna give you the best product your money could buy, period. And that that's valuable. You made a point, and you said sometimes the larger broker dealers are multi custody. Yeah, right. The RAs. Uh, yep. What I'm sorry, RAs. Um, why? Which is basically multi custody for the audience, right? Down to basics. That means they have a relationship with Schwab and Fidelity, maybe Pershing, maybe yep. some others. We work with some RIAs. Uh, that have multiple, you know, they work with Goldman Sachs and firms that you don't realize have custodial uh, uh, um, businesses. Yeah. Uh, we work with them. So again, you don't know what you don't know what we know. Um, but what's the importance of working with a firm that has multiple custodians? So inevitably, as as you are doing your job and you're running your your seminars, you're 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 prospecting, and you get a referral from someone. Um, you may come across a family that has 15, 20 million dollars. That's not really uncommon these days. And maybe they've had their accounts at Fidelity for the past 25 years. And uh, you're in conversations. Uh, great. You know that we, we like it. Uh, let's move forward. Now, if you're your own RIA and you even if you have three or four hundred million dollars, you're pretty much going to have one custodian. Right, you're not you're not going to segment or fragment 300 million, uh, 150 here, 150 there, because 300, you're you're. I, I hate to say it, but you might be a B or C level client. Well, Pershing's minimum is 300 million. Or yeah, something so like that, right? I mean, you, you're going to be to put it nicely, you might be a B or C level client at 300 million with some of these custodians. At 150, they might not even want to work with you, right? Um, so. If you're 300 million, whatever your number is, it's going to be difficult for it's going to be more difficult for you to have more than one custodian. Now, fast forward, you have 25 million dollar opportunity. You custody with Schwab, and that account is at Fidelity. They don't want to move Fidelity. Um, if you're part they're like, of, they're like, we love you, but we're not. We don't want to leave Fidelity, yeah. let alone go through the ACAT process and all that stuff. If you're if you're tucked in under a, a multi billion dollar RA. 
They're going to have a relationship with Schwab, Fidelity, Goldman, and you're going to call your your contact and say, hey, man, I need a rep code with Fidelity. I'm taking over an account. Uh, can you get that set up for me? And by the power of their numbers, that's an easy decision. That's an easy call for them, right? So you're saying that the client doesn't have to. So when they get a rep code, what happens with that account at so, Fidelity? You, you know, you ba- basically, if they're at Fidelity Retail and uh, you have the ability to get a, a rep code on the institutional platform, institutional wealth, they're basically journaling that account internally. They're not ACADing that account to Schwab or Pershing, et cetera. So Does the client get a new account number? Typically, they don't. Um, you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It really depends internally what their systems are. But uh, long story short, it's an internal move. It's a letter of authorization that says, you know, move my account from so-and-so to so-and-so, and that's that. So the advisor, so you as the advisor get to say, listen, no problem. Leave the accounts right where they are. I'm not asking you to move the accounts. Leave them at Fidelity, yep. and I can then take over as the the advisor of record. Right? Don't say rep of record. They don't let's understand what that means. Yeah, and, and say I mean, advisor of record. Just envision this, right? These bigger opportunities that you're going to come across, right? There might be a trust. It might be an LLC account, right? That that could be a lot of paperwork to yeah, move from a corporate corporate account where there's five officers, and you got to have. All five officers sign off on them and they're traveling around the world and good luck transferring that account. Yeah. So, I mean, that that client may, may, may start to get like some real agita, like thinking about, oh, my God, like you want me to go and get a signature from. I have 22. Ooh. I have 22 accounts with, with Fidelity. Yeah. I mean, that's so. So that's that's a big underestimated power of affiliating with a with a larger tuck-in. I'm just thinking sometimes yeah. the family has like multiple family household accounts, especially in the 20, 30, $50 million range. Yeah. And they're like, well, that joint account is with my sister and I'm not really talking to her right now. So I'm not really going to go. Yeah, right. That, that's never happened. <laughs> you know, that's, that's never happened. I mean, that that's, but that is a real situation that you look at it and say like, well, I'm going to set up my own RA. I'm going to keep all of it. It's mine. And uh, I'm going to get a hundred percent pass through, but you're really selling yourself short, right? You, well, I wouldn't say you're really, you may be right. And I think if you're, if you've gone the decision-making process say like, look, the wirehouse world, the IBD world is not for me. I want to learn about creating my own RA. Well, then secondly, you should also be learning about is it, is it wise for me to tuck into a multi-billion dollar RA versus creating my own? I was working with a client and um, large client. You know, they have they have a number of large, um, our, our, my client has a number of large clients, investor clients. One of them is north, north of a billion dollars. And they have a lot of accounts everywhere. And this particular advisor just is in that high net worth space and has a lot of, I'll just say in his circle, yeah. right? A lot of folks that have accounts at Goldman Sachs, right? And the firm that he's at today, he can't handle them because they don't want to leave Goldman. Um, so we were able to introduce him to, the question was, do I start my own RIA and pick Pershing or whatever, right? Because yeah. you can't, he's not going to be able to just pick Goldman. And I introduced him to a firm that we work with that has all of the custodial relationships, including Goldman Sachs. And so we, we you know, we're going down that road because he now can um, go just like your example, those that clients can leave when he comes across a client that wants to work with him, but doesn't want to leave Goldman Sachs for whatever reason they want the other the cachet or they want the, the deal calendar. Or they want the alternatives the private, act, private investments. There's a lot of reasons, right? right? Um, he now will be, will be able to access all of that, um, that entire platform and the client doesn't have to move their account. That's the kind of stuff that's out there that people don't know about, right? Um, people don't know that 
Merrill Lynch has a custodial relation, you know, a custodial UBS. agreement. I, had, I actually, I, I had no BS. UBS, UBS did custody for RAs and until I got here. Right. So, so it's um, you'd be surprised because what here's the big thing people don't understand. If you're at a UBS, Morgan Stanley, where Merrill Lynch, it doesn't matter what firm, right? You actually have a broker dealer license yeah. and an RIA license. Like they have, they have. You just see it as one platform. They actually have both platforms. They have a broker dealer yeah. and they have an RIA. Um, they're a hybrid. They're they're a hybrid. You just don't know it, right? That's like the big secret. Um, but you know, look, I think that there's a lot that goes into is owning. I almost said being an RIA, right? Because again, you're you're not an actual an RIA is like a corporate entity, right? It's like an LLC or an S corp, right? It's a corporate entity. You are an IAR underneath your RIA if you own your own RIA, right? Or if you're an IAR underneath somebody else's RIA. Right. Um, but the reality is, there's a lot to. Uh, take into consideration when you're making this move, right? Even more so than if you were just going to go from um, a wirehouse firm, Morgan Stanley. Again, I'm not picking on Morgan Stanley. I'm just wirehouse firm, right? Wells Fargo, doesn't matter. Um, going from there to going to an independent broker dealer like an LPL or a Raymond James or you know Osaic or whatever it is, Cambridge or Commonwealth or you name the, name the firm, right? There's because because in those decisions. All of the tech, all the systems, the billing, the reporting, the compliance, all of that stuff sort of done for you. There's no decisions that you have to make there. When you're going to an RIA, there's a lot of decisions that you have to make. Um, and and a different, what depends on the direction you go, there's more decisions than others. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, and I think... Uh I think one aspect that we touched earlier, but we didn't really get into, is the DBA aspect, right? right. Like uh, that, where where you you could create your own RA, that's your own brand, one hundred percent, right? And there is everything that we discussed, but really the hybrid or or kind of the tuck-in solution, not the hybrid, but the tuck-in solution gives you sort of the best of both worlds, right? You don't have to start your own business and and worry about everything that goes along with running a business, not just managing your client's expectations, but uh, the they, most of these larger, well-known tuck-in providers are going to allow you to do uh, a DBA. Um, and that gives you the best of both. So you market yourself as as whatever you'd like. You know, I want to be Vince Wealth Management and I'm operating uh, on, as an IAR under someone else's corporate RIA, right? And that's that's sort of the best of both worlds. I didn't set it up, but I'm still hanging a shingle with my name on it, right? And quite frankly, your clients may not know the difference, right? Or doesn't need to know the difference. So that's that's powerful there. And most of the time, these larger DBAs or tuck-ins are, they're going to allow you to manage money as you see fit, right? Some Most of the times, not all of, of them. Not all the times, right? They're, they're, some of them are going to have their own models, but some of them are going to allow you to act as rep SPM if that's what's important to you. In the interest of time, I want to just talk about one other thing, because I think we've, we've missed a a scenario in which um, you can, you decide, listen, I get the whole tucking thing, understand, I just want my, I want to do my own thing. Is there a, are there companies out there that I can work with and affiliate with 
um, as like a partner office that do all the stuff for me. Like, and as an example, a firm like Dynasty Financial, right? I've known, so I've known them for a long time. Um, I know Cheryl Penny, who's the founder of that firm. We worked together, Smith Barney, for many years. Um, great organization. What what are those what are those types of firms do for you? How do they play a role in this whole this whole sort of this this landscape here? So firms like that could play a number of roles, but let's say you know, they're a back office provider, right? They're kind of like a service provider that is an intermediary where you could set up your own RIA, but use all the knowledge and expertise that a dynasty has over doing it for X amount of years, working with, you know, I, I don't know how many firms they work with, but probably over 50 yeah. that are that are affiliated with them. They're tremendously successful. So again, there's value in partnering with a firm like that whether it's simply as a back office provider or you actually tuck in under their corporate RIA. Right, because right, so. they're going to help you set up your RIA. Then they're going to they're gonna basically say, hey, this is our recommended tool set. Yep. What I found is the majority of, of larger institutional uh, RIAs are using the same tech. Yeah. Right? So it's like, hey, listen. It's only so many names out there, right, really. Right. You know, so it's so. like, what are the majority of your most successful partner offices using? And I'll just use that. Right? Like, don't you don't need to recreate the wheel. Um, but they, you know, what I found is firms like that, and there's some others that are out there, um, that provide this sort of middle and back office. Uh, they help you process stuff. They help you with billing. They help you set all that stuff up. You probably still need to use an RA consultant, like, um, you know, one of the, one of the top law firms out, you know, there's a couple of law firms out there, Lax and Neville, Hamburger Law Firm. There's a couple of really good ones out there that, um, that we recommend typically, but then they also enable you to help with. Um, you know, lending situations, right? Where you have, if you have a more sophisticated client base where you need to be, need to be more creative in terms of where you're going for lending um, or private equity deals, they bring that kind of stuff. They, they're bringing that intellectual capital to the table. So you don't, because again, you don't know what you don't know. So lean on someone like that. Now there's a cost to it. Yeah. It's like that, they're like the general contractor. So basically, again, I think advisors are, you know, some of them are very analytical, right? Um, and they're looking at the actual dollars and cents. What's this going to cost me? And I think from a certain perspective, I mean, I grew up in New Jersey, right? I'm I'm a North Jersey guy. I always look at sometimes, you know, uh, what's the angle on this, right? How are you trying to make a dollar off of me, right? <laughs> right yeah. And I think like a lot of advisors, some of them are, are, are more professional about going about that or some of them aren't right They're, they get to the point and we could appreciate that yeah. but i think like there's an aspect that you know if you make a dollar off of my business man yeah take it from me yeah like you know you're you're kind of you're stealing right? right right and meanwhile they've been in the wirehouse world for i don't know 30 years etc right yeah, it's yeah. kind of um but there's a value in it right and i think uh some advisors and uh, may have heard stories where, you know, you, you join a firm like a dynasty as a back office provider or some of the others. And then they kind of say like, oh, man, this is pretty expensive. You know, um, I I could kind of I could replace this after using them for two, three years. And I think I've heard one or two of those stories. Right. And I think uh, you might be able to replace it, but you're definitely not doing the same level of work. You're not adding the same level of professionalism, you know, and, and you're not giving your client the same exact experience. And there might be a situation where, again, we might refer someone to a dynasty that's in your backyard that has 150 million bucks 
doesn't want to create their own RIA, needs office space, right? Right. And you're missing out on that opportunity. And if you think those opportunities aren't real, you haven't sat here for yeah, you know, every a week. month or two like I have. And it's pretty busy here, right? And there's opportunities that pop up every single day. They may not be exactly in your in your backyard, but one day they will be. And that's a big value add. But what happens what the happens firm. there is and you know, we come across these opportunities all the time. We have a, a you know, um we have a large, fairly uh robust MA business. Um when you come across a, a seller, right, they're gonna look at your business, right? Your whether it's newly found RIA, right? They're going to look at your business. They're going to start asking questions about your service model and how how much support do I get and yep. what's your technology? And if you don't have that stuff buttoned up and you're $100 million or $200 million, um, and that adv- that seller is also looking at a firm, and we'll just we'll stay on the dynasty thing for a minute, right? And that seller is also looking at a $500 million, $600 million RIA that's on the dynasty platform, you're, you're going to lose, Right. Other than if it's a cultural thing and, you know, you have an office three minutes from the advisor and whatever, you're generally not going to be able to compete with the advisor that's working with Dynasty because of the platform and the service model that Dynasty through and, and the that, that RIA is bringing to the table. And that's the kind of stuff. So when we talk about strategically thinking about what you're trying to get accomplished, you need to be thinking about where you are going. One of the questions I ask advisors all the time is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. If you're $500 million today, where are you trying to go, right? Are you trying to get to $2 billion or $3 billion? Okay, you need, a, a, you need a business model and an affiliation model that's going to help you get to that as fast as possible. Yeah, maybe you can do it by yourself, but it might take you twice as long. And so there's an opportunity cost there versus paying a little extra, working with whether it's Dynasty or some of the other firms. Uh, and the extra, you might be talking about like two to three BIPs. Right, it's... Right, like, exactly. Like you're not, uh, you, you know, we're not talking. We're not talking about ten or fifteen basis uh, on a million dollars in production. You're talking about like twenty or thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah, right. You could argue that you probably spend more money on lunch. Yeah, right. I, golf, golf, and whatever you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it's kind of uh, that. That's where I again. But the I advisor think, here is, oh, that's thirty thousand dollars more. I, I I can't do that. Well, again, I think like there's maybe a little bit of coaching that needs to go For sure. through that. Um, that I think, again, you know, advisors are kind of like thinking you're digging into my pocket, you know, a little bit, right? It's a negative connotation. Right. right? You, so the way I've, as I've sort of, as I'm learning as a business owner, right? This is, so I started Elite 12 years ago and I came from the wirehouse world. Um, and what I started to learn, which helped me as I grew and was making larger investments um, is just that. I don't, I don't look at, expenses or, or things that I'm paying for in the business as an expense, right? As, oh, this is this is the cost of what this is going to be. I have to, whatever, I'm, I'm hiring people. It's a cost. Yes. I look at all of those things as investments. Yep. And so if you have a different, if you take that perspective in when you're writing a check for something for technology, if it's going to be $80,000, it's not an $80,000 expense, it's an $80,000 investment in the business. And what are you going to get from that investment? That's what you have to look at with everything. So if it's going to cost you, I'm just picking a number, $200,000 or $300,000 to be affiliated with Dynasty. Again, we're going to just stay on that line. 
it, that's what that's what's going to cost you three hundred thousand dollars. That's an investment in your business. So what are you going to get? What are you getting for that investment? Yeah, and what's the return on that investment going to be? Um, versus oh, it's an expense and I'm losing money. You can't look at it that way. Like if you, if that's how you're going to look at everything. You're probably better off in a W two world. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of like you know, affiliating with somebody. You almost have to be like along the the lines of like, if you're not growing, you're dying, right? Which is my attitude, right? So businesses that aren't growing are dying, are dying, right? They're they're going to be out of business. And uh, I mean, I've only been here for a short amount of time, and obviously, you know, Frank uh, is not penny wise and pound foolish, right? That's that's one way to look at it. I think we're about to expand, right? And Oh, it's, yeah. it's all a mindset. It's it's really it's it's a mindset that you can do it and believe I in think, yourself. I think there's um you, you know there's different thought processes. Not everybody's out to get you. There's a lot of good opportunities for you and uh general premises again, you know, you've built a really successful business and there's different ways to manage that business going forward. You know, and you know the other adage is, you know, obviously what what got you here is not going to get you there, right? And that's the world is changing. There's no doubt about it. And you could change with it or. It's going to change around you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, um, if you want to have these kind of conversations specifically about your, your not business, but your direction or your future business, um, you know, the best thing to do is work with someone like Vince, who's been doing this for a long time. Um, we, we know, I'll say we know where the bodies are buried, right? But we know what's going on. We are agnostic in terms of the the approach that we take. If you're talking to, and I'm not picking on Schwab, but if you're talking to a recruiter at Schwab, right, they're going to tell you why Schwab is the best place to be and that's it. They're not going to give you the other options. Um, So we're here to sort of guide you along this path so that you don't make mistakes because we've seen, and Vince has seen, especially in the RA space, we've seen those mistakes being made by other people. And so why not learn from that experience? Right? Why not learn from Vince's experience or my experience or somebody here at the firm um, that we this is all we do all day long, right? It's why it's why your clients work with you because all you do all day long is worry about their investments and worry about their you know their retirement plan, and worry about their goals and their estate plan. That's all you think about. That's all you do. That's why you're awesome at it. Well, that's why we're awesome at what we do. So um, if you want to have a conversation, you can give Vince a call at. 201-723-5934. Our email, email is going to be Vince Leto, V-I-N-C-E-L-E-T-O at EliteConsultingPartners.com. I think the main premise, though, is, again, remember, your firm needs you more than you need them. Uh, if you're open to a conversation, open to a change, let's, you know, we'll help you explore those options to you. And and the nice thing about, you know, the reason that I'm here is, I mean, I worked at TD. I was a Schwab employee for a minute or two. Uh, I worked at Axos. I worked at Raymond James. I think we have a real good handle on what's available to you out there. Uh, and there's good aspects for each one of those firms. Uh, there's a couple, maybe I wouldn't call them pitfalls, but things that you need to be aware of, of each of those firms as well. We don't represent any one of them, uh, Right individually meaning but but we could introduce you to pretty much all of them right and that's how we're helpful we're agnostic in that respect and realistically we want to help you cut to the chase as you're entertaining this as a change for your business and we want to provide solutions that we think based on our knowledge and experience that are going to be really good for you 
and your and your clients. So listen, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, if you have any questions, you can shoot Vince an email. Um, for uh, if you're if you're new to the show, we hope you liked it. Um, if you are a continued listener, thank you very much for listening. Uh, the only thing we ask is you forward this to someone that you know, share it with somebody. Um, we don't we don't advertise. I, I've had vendors want to come on advertise and put on commercials and sort of sort of not interested in doing that. So all I ask is you forward this to people. Uh, we're trying to do good. We're trying to educate the, the educate the industry as best we can. Don't forget to check out my Instagram account, which is franklarosa.elite. Uh, we have some great content on there. Uh, some of it's industry specific stuff. Some of it is just motivational content that you know some people need to hear on a on a on a on a daily basis or something. But there's great stuff on there. Uh, we appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank Larosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com/podcasts. Mm-hmm.